They've stoned people to death for adultery, thrown men from buildings for their sexuality, and beheaded innocent journalists and aid workers. They've even crucified young Muslim men for eating during the fasting hours of Ramadan. Often called medieval in their actions, they say they're fighting the good fight, one that goes back centuries and will end with victory, the apocalypse, and paradise for many of their soldiers in arms. ISIS has indeed brought the brutality of the past to the present, but where are they now? If recent reports are correct, they might be coming to a town near you at some point soon. We're deadly serious about that. ISIS still has big plans for the West, according to those in the know. But before we get to those worrying reports, we think you need to hear the history of ISIS, their resume of savagery that would make a medieval executioner shudder. But how did this all come about? Where did they come from and what do they want? Can the West shoulder any blame for the rise of ISIS? Will ISIS ever completely go away? You might have heard of them simply called the Islamic State or IS, and you might have also heard them called the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, or ISIL, and of course the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria or ISIS. They're also sometimes referred to as Daesh. They're all the same group more or less, although this group has evolved over the years. Today, we'll always call them ISIS to avoid any confusion. The genesis of ISIS is complicated when we consider all the decades of conflict between certain groups in the Middle East, notably in Iraq. We won't go into all the nuts and bolts, but we will say that after the US invasion of Iraq in 2003 and the country's occupation, with the dictator Saddam Hussein ousted, a power vacuum started to form in Iraq. This created profound instability in the region, and extremist groups emerged looking to take advantage of that instability. This included Al-Qaeda in Iraq, or AQI for short. AQI was headed by a Jordanian jihadi named Abu Musab al-Zakari, who merged his Tahid and Jihad insurgent group in 2004 with Osama bin Laden's Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda itself had a vision of employing elite fighters that could lead a worldwide jihad project, which of course was very hostile to the US, a country viewed as vastly corrupt by these extremists. Al-Zakari had at first received funding from bin Laden, but initially he wouldn't swear allegiance to Al-Qaeda since his own outfit didn't always see eye to eye with the organization. They later joined forces, which led to the formation of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Just so you know, jihad to some scholars can mean many things, including the personal struggle to strive in life. But for al-Zakari and many other militant fundamentalist Muslims, when they talk about jihad, they mean the holy war against the enemies of Islam. This show today is about the people waging that war, not the vast majority of Muslims in the world who certainly do not condone ISIS's beliefs or violence. In 2004, the US intercepted a letter that was written by al-Zakari and sent to al-Qaeda. It can tell us something about the mindset of ISIS. You gracious brothers are the leaders, guides, and symbolic figures of jihad and battle. We do not see ourselves as fit to challenge you, and we have never striven to achieve glory for ourselves. All that we hope is that we will be the spearhead, the enabling vanguard, and the bridge on which the Islamic nation crosses over to the victory that is promised and to the tomorrow to which we aspire. In a part subheaded the Americans, he called them cowardly. He said the aim of this organization was to kill and capture Americans and to sow panic among those behind them and to trade them for a detained sheikhs and brothers. It is also to be said he certainly did sow some panic when he made sure Americans saw the videos of his wrath in action. In Iraq, al-Zakari engaged in terrorist campaigns aimed at Iraqis and foreigners, in part he rose to infamy in the West as a result of his name appearing on the video of the brutal beheading of an American radio tower repairman named Nick Berg. It was this video and others like it that terrorized the West, which was the entire point of making them in the first place. Al-Zakari was said to be behind many assassinations as well as lethal bombings in Casablanca in Morocco and also in Istanbul in Turkey. Why did they do such things, you might wonder? 
ISIS says the end of times is coming, and it believes that it is its duty to establish the Islamic Caliphate, meaning an Islamic government ruled by a caliph, a spiritual leader of the highest regard. It's important to remember that ISIS interprets Islam in its own way, hence it's often ruthless in its enforcement of what it considers Islamic law. These people are extremists, make no mistake, but they say they are on a holy path to paradise. Later in the show, we'll let supporters of ISIS have their say about what they stand for, so we can't be accused of putting words in their mouths. While many critics have blamed the West for helping to create ISIS because of the post-Iraq war chaos, the West has also been busy killing ISIS leaders for years since that war. The violence has been somewhat of a vicious cycle. The West kills a major ISIS leader in an airstrike, and ISIS usually strikes back with an act of terrorism. The West at least seems like it's winning this battle, but the news reports of tomorrow might be still ugly enough for us to worry about ISIS. The more people live in bombed-out cities, where there's no work, where they lose all hope, the more vulnerable they might be to joining an extremist organization. As the United States Institutes of Peace says, ISIS is a problem of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We'll show you later how new potential recruits to ISIS are being created every single day. This ISIS issue is far from being done, despite it taking a back seat in your news reports as of late. On June 7, 2006, at precisely 1415 GMT, two U.S. Air Force F-16C jets dropped 500-pound guided bombs, as well as a laser-guided GBU-12 and GPS-guided GBU-38 on a building that contained al-Zakari. And that was the end of him. But not the end of his brand of extremism, it was just the beginning. A man named Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi became the leader of AQI, and in 2010 he rebranded it as the Islamic State of Iraq (ISI) with the intention of regional expansion. The outbreak of the Syrian civil war in 2011 made expansion much easier, and ISI began operations in Syria, which is when the Islamic State of Iraq in Syria, or ISIS, was born. The Americans and coalition forces tried to stop the bloodshed in Iraq during those years of chaos following the power vacuum, stationing about 170,000 troops there at the peak of American intervention in 2007. But when the U.S. pulled out in 2011, all hell broke loose again. ISIS started growing in strength, which is the one reason why so many Americans started to criticize the war in Iraq. Iraq had not been remade. It had been destroyed, they said, creating even more terrorists, not to mention all the U.S. soldiers that were injured, killed, and went home with PTSD. ISIS expanded just as 62% of Americans back home said the war had not been worth fighting, according to Pew Research. Pew said the majority of military veterans felt the same way. This was a vastly different opinion than the one coming from many Americans after 9-11. The public and the veterans said they'd been misled about Iraq's so-called weapons of mass destruction, which were certainly not in Iraq. Many say that it was always obvious that these WMDs never existed, and the Iraq war is a war crime. The global war on terror meant more terror, which happened as the US and its allies started to get criticism for their military involvement in the Middle East. There were no WMDs, and while Saddam Hussein was certainly a tyrant with a history of extreme violence against his own people, now there was an extremist group gaining momentum in the Middle East and about to expand globally. Something monstrous had been created, and it grew even more monstrous. On June 10, 2014, ISIS gained control of Mosul, and in July and August of that year, they took control of Raqqa, Syria. A US-led coalition kicked off a series of airstrikes against ISIS in Iraq on August 7th of that year and expanded airstrikes to Syria soon after. The fight against ISIS was on. 
Taiwan, and it wasn't pretty. ISIS went after non-combatants as revenge and to sow the fear that it much wanted the West to feel. In August, an American freelance war correspondent named James Foley was beheaded by ISIS, with a highly distressing act, or at least part of it, appearing on YouTube with the title A Message for America. ISIS warned that any more airstrikes would result in the bloodshed of your people. That same month, ISIS executed 700 members of the Al-Shaitat tribe in the Deir al-Zor province of Syria. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said that many were beheaded after being captured by ISIS. At the time, Reuters reported that ISIS had driven tens of thousands of Muslims, Christians, and members of the Yazidi religious minority from their homes. More foreigners were beheaded as time went on, including Stephen Sotloff, an American-Israeli journalist, and later a British aid worker named David Haynes was beheaded on video. About a week later, on September 20th, still in 2014, ISIS in Afghanistan set 60 homes on fire. It was reported that they killed more than 100 people and beheaded 15 of those victims. Four days later, a French mountaineering guy named Hervé Gordel was kidnapped while hiking in Algeria. Later, he appeared in a beheading video titled A Message of Blood for French Government. These acts of extreme violence struck fear into the hearts of people, many of them on the other side of the world watching the videos on gore websites after they were taken down from YouTube. But what happened to foreigners was just one part of the extremism. Life in ISIS territory was a living nightmare for the vast majority of people in Iraq and Syria. In August 2014, a 31-year-old man was stoned to death by ISIS in Iraq after nothing more than being accused of committing adultery. Writers reported the stoning, which happened on Thursday, was the first known instance of the punishment by al Qaeda offshoot Islamic State militants in Iraq, although it had been reported previously in Syria. Indeed, in Syria's Raqqa province, reports said two women were stoned to death after being accused of adultery. Such scenes became common over the years. In 2016, reports showed four blindfolded men being stoned to death in Iraq for the same offense. As time went on, reports stated that hundreds of people were killed in villages and towns where ISIS arrived. The group publicly executed several members of a Sunni tribe in the Anbar province of western Iraq. Often, men took bullets to the head after being told they supported the enemy, but women were not spared. One time, three Sunni women in Mosul in Iraq were publicly executed for refusing to treat ISIS fighters. As the months passed, large groups of men were thrown into mass graves. Policemen in Iraq were kidnapped and killed. Soldiers who refused to join ISIS were executed. Two days after some Iraqi soldiers were executed in Wada town in Diyaya in Iraq, 19 Sunnis were executed in Saadiyah for not pledging allegiance to the group. Students were kidnapped and never seen again. Homosexual men were thrown from buildings. There were reports of crucifixions, including the report we told you about earlier, in which two young men in Syria were killed and crucified because they'd broken fast during Ramadan. The boys were strung up with placards around their necks on which the word crime was written. In another news report, it was stated that ISIS was going around checking the length of men's beards. This was after ISIS had told the people of Mosul that shaving one's facial hair was a crime under their version of Sharia law. That same news report stated, Five crucified bodies were put on display at a road junction on Tuesday, a clear message to the city's remaining 1.5 million residents that the ultra-hardline Islamists are still in charge, despite losing territory to the east of the city. Others were seen hanging from electricity poles and traffic signals around the city, residents said on Wednesday. Libyan militants allied with ISIS also caused death and destruction. 
In February 2015, they'd released a video that showed the beheading of 21 Egyptian Christians, all of whom had been kidnapped earlier in January. Egypt launched a series of airstrikes in Libya as retaliation. ISIS was extreme even for extremism. Cruelty was their modus operandi. They ruled by fear, and when they were able to cement their power, they destroyed places of worship and ancient historical artifacts. As totalitarians often do, they destroyed the past. They took bulldozers and power drills and explosives to ancient archaeological sites. ISIS was taking a wrecking ball to the cradle of civilization. They enraged Jordanians when they released a video of a captured Jordanian Air Force pilot that they burned to death in a cage. We'll explain later why this was supposed to be a symbolic execution. They attacked a museum in Tunis, killing 22 people, and they bombed two mosques in Yemen, killing 137 people. In January 2016, ISIS extremists killed 10 people and injured 15 others when they detonated a bomb in Istanbul's Sultanahmet Square. Many of the casualties were merely tourists visiting the beautiful city. The next year, an ISIS gunman opened fire at a nightclub in that same city, killing at least 39 people. On the 31st of October 2015, ISIS blew up an Airbus A321-231 after it departed from Sharm el-Sheikh International Airport in Egypt on its way to Polkovo Airport, St. Petersburg in Russia. It's never been certain exactly what happened, but ISIS was blamed for killing the 212 Russians, four Ukrainians, and one Belarusian passenger on board, as well as the seven Russian crew. In 2016, ISIS released a video in which a man said, Listen, Putin, we'll come to Russia and we will kill you at your homes. Not long before that, on October 15, 2015, the United States had begun Operation Inherent Resolve. This involved the US and the British, and some other nations to a lesser extent, conducting thousands of airstrikes against ISIS in support of Iraqi and Syrian forces fighting ISIS on the ground. As you'll see later, such strikes are ongoing. ISIS might have been knocked back, but it's nowhere near dead and gone. But what ISIS really wanted was to create global terror, not only regional terror in the Middle East. They wanted to export their extreme brand of religion, which meant finding new recruits, many of whom were residents of Western nations. ISIS's ambition to spread global fear became more of a reality on November 13, 2015, when 11 of its members murdered 130 civilians and injured 100 others in a series of horrific attacks in Paris, France. Men armed with guns, some with bomb vests attached to them, attacked a concert hall, a football stadium, as well as restaurants and bars around Paris. This was what terror looked like. The maiming and killing of innocent people who had no dog in the fight, slaughtered in the name of the Holy War. On Boulevard Voltaire, the attackers hit the 1500-seat Bataclan Hall, where the Californian rock group Eagles of Death Metal had just started their song Kiss the Devil. ISIS said their terrorist cell had committed the slaughter because of French airstrikes on Islamic State targets in Syria and Iraq. President Francois Hollande called it an act of war. Still, did the three men who entered that hall with assault rifles really believe ISIS could win the war? Does ISIS still believe it can win? Foot soldiers can obviously cause great damage, but what is the end point of all this carnage? How can a relatively small group of men in the thousands beat world powers? One writer on the topic said that the Islamic State is committed to purifying the world by killing vast numbers of people. But so far, it's the so-called Muslim apostates that have been the ones that have suffered the most. Still, global violence remains a big part of the war. There will likely be more attacks all around the world. 
In 2016, Omar Mateen, a 29-year-old man, murdered 49 people and wounded 53 in a shooting at a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. He told a negotiator that U.S. military activity in Iraq and Syria was the reason he went through with the attack. This was one of the worst mass shootings on American soil. Make no mistake, as you watch this video, Americans are being recruited at home by ISIS. Some of them in the past fulfilled their missions. Sefolo Saipov, a 35-year-old resident of Patterson, New Jersey, was convicted of a vehicular attack in Manhattan in 2017, which killed eight and injured 11 others. At his trial, the evidence showed his phone was full of ISIS propaganda. He had videos of shootings and beheadings on the device, which the court heard served as a kind of instruction manual. There was also information on how to make explosive devices. After his attack on those innocent people, he had the nerve to ask to hang an ISIS flag in his hospital room. He told the FBI he wanted to do his part for the caliphate, his part for ISIS. They don't always complete their missions, though. On March 26, 2019, a 28-year-old naturalized U.S. citizen from Trinidad and Tobago named Rondell Henry was said to have stolen a U-Haul truck to carry out a ramming attack for ISIS at a shopping and entertainment complex near Washington, D.C. He was arrested before he could cause any harm. He later said his inspiration was a ramming attack in Nice, France in 2016 that killed 86 people and injured 434 others. Another report talked about James Bradley, a 21-year-old from the Bronx in New York, and Arwa Mutana, a 30-year-old from Hoover, Alabama, who in 2022 were sentenced to 132 months and 108 months in prison respectively for trying to give material to ISIS. Both planned to fight for ISIS in the Middle East. The report noted, court-authorized searches of Bradley and Mutana's electronic devices identified significant significant extremist content, including IS propaganda, quotations by Anwar al-Awlaki, a video of an individual in prisoner garb being chained and then buried alive. The U.S. has been mostly unscathed in recent years. Still, terrible things have happened elsewhere, including mass death and destruction caused by bombers in Iraq, the death of five women at an Orthodox church in Russia's southern province of Dagestan, a series of church bombings in Indonesia leaving 28 people dead, and many more attacks. In 2018, ISIS attacks killed 149 people in Pakistan in one attack, while over 100 people in various attacks in Afghanistan, with more innocent people being murdered in Iran, Egypt, Tajikistan, Syria, and more countries. In 2019, 22 people died and 102 people were injured in the cathedral bombings in the Philippines. That year, ISIS killed 11 Christians in Nigeria, more people in Pakistan, and more in Afghanistan, but for the most part, the West was spared from such atrocities. This was an improvement on earlier years. In 2017, a vehicle rammed into people walking on Westminster Bridge in London and crashed near the British Parliament. The driver tried to enter the Parliament building, stabbing and killing a police officer on the way before being shot down and killed by British cops. Three people died and more than 40 people were seriously wounded in the attack. Sometimes these extremists have been arrested before they could go through with their attacks. Still, at times they have succeeded, such as when a bomber attacked a crowd at an Ariana Grande concert in 2017 in Manchester in England, killing at least 22 and injuring 59. Some of those injured were just kids. They wouldn't have even known about politics in the Middle East, Britain's often murky past in the region, or ISIS and religious fundamentalism. It might have seemed back then that ISIS was accomplishing its goal of sowing fear across the world, but by December 2017, ISIS had lost as much as 95% of its territory, including Mosul and Raqqa. At the time, Iraqi Prime Minister Hader al-Abadi announced victory had been settled over the Islamic State in Iraq. In 2018, ISIS was also defeated in Syria. This didn't mean ISIS was done, though. ISIS might not be able to hold on to territory that's being attacked by better-equipped local and coalition forces, but their ideology is still spreading around the world. 
Lone men with a terminal plan in mind or groups of men out to kill and kidnap people can commit horrific violence. They've done it all over the world, and they did it after ISIS lost all the territory in Iraq and Syria. In April 2019, on Easter Sunday, ISIS bombers killed at least 250 people in attacks on three churches and three high-end hotels in the Sri Lankan capital of Colombo, as well as the Sri Lankan cities of Negombo and Batakaloa. Around 300 people were killed and 500 were injured. Ten days later, ISIS said in a video, our battle to Today is a war of attrition to harm the enemy, and they should know that jihad will continue until doomsday. ISIS may not have the power it had in the past, but it still has about 10,000 fighters in Syria and Iraq, and there are many other ISIS cells around the world. Often there's just one person ready to commit violence after being recruited online in his bedroom. In 2020, a British ISIS fanatic named Sudesh Aman stabbed and injured two people while walking down a street in South London. News reports said that the 20-year-old attacker, who was shot and killed by police, had a troubled childhood and lived in a chaotic and extremely unclean house. Such a man might be ripe for extremism and there are plenty of men like him, not just in the UK but all over the world. Amman had written in the past that deaths of infidels were an eye for an eye for British military activity in the Middle East. The irony is much of the UK public would agree with him about the wrongs of the British foreign policy in the Middle East. In fact, much of the British public marched in the streets against Prime Minister Tony Blair's war in Iraq. A recent government poll showed that one in five Britons believed Tony Blair should be tried as a war criminal. 19% of Brits said Iraq would have been better off under the tyrant Saddam Hussein given the instability and violence that erupted after the war. A Gallup poll conducted in the US in 2022 revealed similar opinions, showing that just 16% of Americans in the poll held a favorable view of the Iraq war. With this in mind, teenagers going to see pop stars don't seem like the perfect targets for ISIS, but we must remember that ISIS is in a holy war. The infidels must submit or be killed. Even if no Western forces were in the Middle East, there'd still be this kind of thinking among the extremists. Still, most of the latest attacks have been far from the West, with the majority of deaths from ISIS attacks happening in Afghanistan. In 2021, there were also incredibly vicious attacks in Iraq and Pakistan, although one person was killed in New Zealand when eight people were stabbed at a supermarket. The attacker was well known to police as an ISIS supporter. 2022 was a relatively quiet year for ISIS. However, there were still massacres in Iran, Turkey, Afghanistan, and Pakistan, and in Benin, which left four innocent people dead. There was also an ISIS attack in Mozambique. ISIS in Africa has become a very big problem. In 2023 so far, ISIS has had its sights set on Africa. Over 20 men and women were murdered in the Democratic Republic of the Congo when farmers were attacked in the North Kivu province. News reports said one man was found tied to a fence with his throat slit. The report said the people belonged to a group that is an offshoot of ISIS, but no reason was given for the murders. The police did say the group used machetes for the murders to avoid confrontation with the army. The same extremist group in 2023 walked into a village in the DRC and burned down houses and shops, kidnapping people from the village. News reports said they surprised 17 people in a small bar where they were drinking beer and executed them. There was also a church bombing in the DRC that killed 17 people and grievously injured many more. Around that same time, ISIS claimed responsibility for killing 18 people in Burkina Faso in Africa. This came just after 60 women and children were also abducted in Burkina Faso while out collecting wild fruit. 
News media said, since 2015, Burkina Faso has been grappling with violence spearheaded by rebel fighters affiliated with Al-Qaeda and ISIL or ISIS groups that have killed tens of thousands and displaced nearly two million people. Two other ISIS massacres happened in 2023 in Afghanistan and Syria. It's hard to say how many of these ISIS supporters around the world truly believe in the holy war and how many are just lost in life and are easy targets for extremist groups. In Iraq and Syria, citizens have faced high unemployment, displacement, never-ending humanitarian crises, and a lack of basic services. One expert said such conditions leave ordinary civilians vulnerable to recruiting by ISIS and other extremists. Humanitarian crises in Africa might similarly be one reason why ISIS has attracted so many new recruits. This is not always the case for new recruits in the West, though. According to research undertaken by George Washington University, the average new recruit for ISIS in the USA is in his 20s, with the average age being 26. They're 90% male, and believe it or not, according to that research, 73% of recruits and likely radicals are middle class or wealthier. The report said there are likely second or third generation immigrants, 70% of them use Android devices for their ISIS propaganda collection. The report said 62% of such recruits had used Twitter in the last month at the time that the report was compiled in 2022. The same report mentioned a list of Americans who'd been enlisted online and had bought airline tickets with the intention of fighting for ISIS in Syria. These people often speak quite openly on social media sites, despite them being under the watchful eye of police forces. It's not illegal to support ISIS if you don't openly threaten violence against others. There's no law against believing in the holy war. The Atlantic wrote in 2015, in theory, all Muslims are obliged to immigrate to the territory where the caliph is applying these laws. The same article talked about offensive jihad, which would mean taking the fight to non-Muslims in other countries. It means expanding. One of the ISIS supporters interviewed said that the caliph must wage jihad as expanding the caliphate is the duty of the caliph. Caliphate said the man don't recognize borders. An ISIS supporter explained in 2013, our goal is to establish an Islamic state that doesn't recognize borders on the prophetic methodology. The article explained that in fighting for the movement, one would be granted martyrdom. The war would eventually be taken from the Middle East to Europe and America and beyond, and in the end, there would be an apocalyptic battle against the disbelievers. Many people have preached this even if they haven't gotten involved with violence themselves. The most well-known Islamic extremist in the UK is undoubtedly a man named Anjem Chudari. He wants Sharia law in the UK, and he's not afraid to say it out loud. He's served time in prison for his views, and he's praised the people behind the September 11th attacks in the US and July 7th, 2005 attacks in London. When he talks about magnificent martyrs, it's not strictly illegal, despite the UK's well-known hate speech laws. It seems that if he's not inciting imminent violence, he's protected under free speech laws. Shudari did get banned from Twitter at one point, calling Elon Musk a hypocrite for the ban. Today, he still preaches what he thinks is the holy path. Just recently, he told his followers to target British troops in Syria, Iraq, and North Africa. He criticized Prince Harry after Harry said in his book he'd helped kill Taliban fighters, which he said was like moving pieces from a chessboard. Shadari rattled a lot of Brits when it was reported that he was receiving unemployment benefits of $39,000 US per year at the time, which he said could be used by all Muslims to fund a Muslim holy war. He called this money a jizya, which in short, in centuries past, was a kind of tax or a fee on non-Muslims living under a Muslim ruler. 
To give you a modern example of jizya, in a statement in 2014, ISIS leader in Raqqa, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, signed a statement that appeared on websites that said Christians in Syria must pay jizya or face the sword. Christians with good earnings were asked to pay about $664 twice a year, although middle-class Christians were only expected to pay half of that and poor Christians about $166. Back to Shudari, he's blamed British foreign policy for the attacks that have happened in Britain. He also receives a lot of criticism from the Muslim community, but for him, they're not living true to their faith. Shadari has defended ISIS's brutal punishments, such as crucifixion and beheadings, because that is righteous law, he says. The whole point, he once said, is to terrorize and horrify the enemy. When ISIS burns people in cages, he said it is symbolic reciprocation for people who've died in their houses from airstrikes. When describing the fight in the Holy War, he explained, there's something called the divine victory and the worldly victory. The worldly victory is to see the conquest of the land and the implementation of Sharia. The divine victory is to obtain paradise. If someone dies on the battlefield, that is what he wants. Nonetheless, he said when he supports the actions of ISIS abroad, he is law-abiding in the UK. He explained, if I'm living here among the people, I can't attack them, although there may be some people who will respond to those commands. Unsurprisingly, he's one of the most hated men in Britain and has also been accused of being the single biggest gateway to terrorism in recent British history. Abu Muhammad al-Adnani, who was the leader of ISIS in Syria until he was killed by an airstrike in 2016, either Russian or American, was much more outspoken in his approach to brutality and how it should be meted out. He once said in a video, kill the disbeliever whether he's civilian or military, both of them are considered to be waging war, the civilian by belonging to a state waging war against the Muslims. He once told his followers, if you're not able to find an IED or a bullet, then single out the disbelieving American, Frenchman, or any of their allies, smash his head with a rock or slaughter him with a knife, or run him over with your car, or throw him down from a high place, or choke him or poison him. Do not lack, do not be contemptible. He added that you might also burn his home, car, or business, or if that's not possible, destroy his crops. He then said, if you're unable to do so, then spit in his face. As we've shown you today, Al-Adnani's wishes have come true many times over in the last decade or so, but ISIS attacks have been rarer as of late. Thankfully, we haven't heard much from ISIS for a while, but as we told you, ISIS has not gone anywhere, and there are still many people who want to take the fight to the road. Just before we started making the show, Iraq's chief counter-terror officer, General Abdul Wahab al-Saadi, warned that ISIS was planning a large-scale attack on one of its main enemies, the United Kingdom. Al-Saadi said, We discovered that the UK is the next target outside Iraq. In the past few weeks, we launched major operations against Daesh or Islamic State and killed a large number of terrorists. It was during these raids that they found information about the planned attack on UK soil. It wasn't known what kind of attack it would be, but the UK was first on the list, followed by France, Belgium, and Germany. After the US, it seems the UK is where ISIS would be most likely to strike in terms of the West. It also seems recruits for ISIS are aplenty in the UK. British people have been known to flee the UK to join ISIS in the Middle East. The BBC recently reported about a woman who did just that and ended up in a camp after ISIS was defeated in Syria. The BBC wrote, she'd been posting stories on social media and messaging platforms about conditions and detention camps and appealing for Bitcoin. She has cultivated followers around the world, and she asks people to send her cash for the women held in the camps. The camp in question is Al-Hal Camp in northern Syria, close to the Syria-Iraq border. It now contains about 65,000 people of 57 nationalities, most of whom live in absolute squalor. It's reported that ISIS almost has the run of the camp, where it indoctrinates people to this day. In 2019, it was reported that an American woman who'd gone to join ISIS was also in the camp. There was also Australians there, but despite the camp squalor, these 
Western nations are hesitant to repatriate these women. They will always be a threat, and the threat can turn into a bombing outside a pop concert. The camp itself has been called a breeding ground for extremism, which some say is bad news for the future. ISIS was behind 33 assassinations in the camp in 2020, including the murders of six Russian women. In January and February of 2021, there were 20 murders, including 14 Iraqi refugees, with one child and three women among them. Five Syrian people were also murdered, including one woman and the head of the Syrian council in the camp. One of the guards at the camp remarked, If we look at the camps, there's still little children who are a few years old and are being raised on the ideology of how to kill. U.S. forces are still in Iraq today, keeping an eye on ISIS. On April 3, 2023, a U.S. drone strike killed the senior Islamic State leader Khalid Aid Ahmad al-Jabouri, who it was reported was planning an attack in Europe. Reports state that the man had developed the leadership structure for ISIS. At the time of the drone hit, the U.S. said ISIS continues to represent a threat to the region and beyond. A military spokesperson said that while ISIS isn't what it used to be, the group remains able to conduct operations within the region with a desire to strike beyond the Middle East. The director of the National Counterterrorism Center in the U.S. said in 2023, the pressure that you need to maintain on the Al-Qaeda and ISIS networks that still want to attack in the United States is absolutely necessary because a network organization that has sophisticated means of attacking innocent civilians is still something we've got to be concerned about. She said lone actors are always a threat, explaining that U.S. citizens still consume extremist propaganda produced overseas that is now slick and made in the English language. She's also concerned about ISIS making inroads in various parts of the African continent, which we've discussed somewhat already. As you know, ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi was killed in 2019. In 2022, the man that replaced him, Abu Ibrahim al-Hashimi al-Qurashi, was said to have blown himself and his family up during a raid by the U.S. Joint Special Operations Command. Just months later, Syrian rebels took out ISIS leader Abu al-Hassan al-Hashimi al-Qurashi. So it seems as new leaders emerge, they often quickly fall. As intelligence agencies and police keep an eye on possible ISIS supporters in their home countries, at the moment at least, Syrian and Iraqi forces with U.S. and other countries' help are managing to keep ISIS at bay in the Middle East. But that doesn't mean there won't be any more attacks. There are obviously many people that believe in this holy fight, which, taken to its most brutal conclusion, means killing innocent people, even if they are critics of Western foreign policy in the Middle East. ISIS will always be at war until the end of times, at least regardless of Western foreign policy. Still, maybe one year's foreign policy is next year's extremism, so the vicious cycle of violence continues. It seems for now at least that ISIS is an injured shark swimming close to the seabed, but there's a good chance it won't remain mostly subdued for long. Now you need to watch what happened immediately after 9-11, or have a look at how SEAL Team took down Osama bin Laden minute by minute.